Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey, On the Dot's brand new interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On the Dot. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On the Spot, now available every Thursday. Today, I'm sitting down with communications and body language expert, Lisa Mitchell. Without further ado, let's start the show. Welcome everybody to our latest edition of On The Spot with On The Dot, where we put all these fabulous female leaders and entrepreneurs on the spot and they can tell us all of their darkest, deepest secrets about how they are successful. So today we're super excited. We have Lisa Mitchell and she is a body language expert and she is an expert on these nonverbal cues that we, we hear a lot about, but I don't know. Sometimes I walk into a room and I don't know what the heck I'm doing or what I'm putting across. And I know that my husband's always like, why do you have that look on your face? So I don't know, maybe I'm giving off some weird nonverbal cues and I need to watch that. But today Lisa's gonna give us some really great insight and talk to us just about her journey and her path and how she got to the place where she is today, where she is teaching all of us mere mortals to figure out how to own a room when you walk in with your body language. So welcome, Lisa. Really excited to have you from my hometown, Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me on. It's always always good to run into a fellow Hoosier. Yeah, I love Indy. It's a great city and so many people don't know too much about it, but it really is a wonderful city and I en- enjoyed growing up there. I love Austin too, but you know, sometimes I, I do miss the Midwest. Anyway, first of all, On the Dot is all about relatable role models and that's why we decided to do this sort of extra in-depth interview. You are, of course, one of our featured women to watch on our daily newsletter, but we love doing these in-depth interviews just to talk more about how you got started and what your background is, where you grew up and where you came from and what sort of got you to where you are today. So we could sort of see your trajectory. So tell us a little bit about you. Well, really nothing about my story makes sense from a linear uh, trajectory model, but just none of the dots connect. And so that's, that's what's really interesting. I grew up small farm town in Ohio, 1,200 people, including the surrounding farms and even less now, all my family's still there. I always kind of felt like I didn't really belong there. Like I was always bored and I was always looking for excitement and I was always getting into trouble because, you know, I, I don't do well when I'm bored. And so as soon as I could, I, I made a run for a, a kind of big city, at least what was big city compared to where I grew up and actually turned down a four-year full ride scholarship to go work in a bar. So you can imagine how thrilled my parents were. <laughs> that 18-year-old decision making. Yeah, but I, I quickly realized, you know, working three jobs was not awesome. And so I kind of lucked into a job at a big corporation and they actually paid for me to go to college. So uh, eventually through a master's degree, almost step-free because of my my corporate gig, which is almost unheard of now. Yes, I know. What a gift. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I really lucked out. I'm super thankful for that. And, and that career was really good to me. I spent just shy of 18 years with the national corporation and did everything from sales to operations to software conversions to training. I kind of got to play in lots of different spaces through that career, which was really great. And as big companies do, we spun off and got acquired and, and mixed and matched a couple of times. And so on our sixth set of leadership, kind of pigeonholed into a, a great job by, on paper. Only worked about two hours a day, but there was that end of day feeling where I'm not doing anything. I'm not helping anyone. I'm not building anything. And I'm a builder at heart. I've discovered I finally have embraced that I'm a creative in a non-traditional way. So I checked out. I, uh, I made an exit and 2014, knowing I was going to go build something and had no idea what that something was. 
You know what? I love this. I want, just want to pause and think about that because I love when entrepreneurs tell their story because I think that entrepreneurship has become this cool, sexy, hip word like, oh, everybody's starting their own business. But it's so scary and intimidating to so many because they think, oh, well, all these people sort of came out of the womb thinking I'm going to start my own business and they have this great business idea and then they launch into it. And I, I talk to so many people saying, well, I want to be, I feel like I want to be, but I'm too scared because I don't have that perfect idea. It is really interesting because more and more I talk to entrepreneurs who really follow that heart of wanting to do something they're passionate about, wanting to do something to help people to give back, but don't know what the heck they're doing. But here's the great news. You obviously figured it out. So tell us how you figured it out. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, during my corporate career, I, I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, a builder spirit. And so I actually had opened a, my own business while I was working in my corporate gig and while I had a one-year-old because why not? Right. And we I can do it all. Superwoman complex was at full full tilt during that phase of my life. Um, and I, I built a business, we grew very rapidly, and then it completely crashed and burned. At the same time that my marriage crashed and burned and I moved out of my house and I just hit the reset button on my life. So I had taken my ball. That was about five years prior to me leaving corporate. So I took my ball and just stayed safe on my little corporate island for a while because I was a failure, right? My business didn't fail. I was a failure. I had to file bankruptcy. I got divorced. I I kind of like hit bottom. So I never imagined that I would be on an entrepreneurial track again. Because when you get smacked around like that and, and you own that failure, like it's hard, but you know, when you have that, I just had that thing that I felt very accountable that I had a bigger purpose. I was meant to be empowering and equipping people with some skill that I could learn or have or do. And it got to the point where I just, I couldn't ignore it anymore. And that pushed me through the fear and was like, all right, what now? What next? I love that. Okay. So, and I love this concept of when you talk about, and thank you for being so candid, by the way, about open book, man, (laughs) for people to understand it, it looks glossy and pretty on the outside. And if they just go to your website, they see, and it's beautiful and you're doing all these cool things, but really how you got there. And it's hard there. That's just going through that, that thinks they can't do it. And you just told them that they can. So that's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about this confidence gap because you said, you know, your business failed and therefore I'm a failure. It's a huge issue for women. Just a few weeks ago, there was this big article in the Wall Street Journal about it. It was fascinating just about what what is this about this confidence gap for women? And, you know, it's really our why behind On the Dot. We really want to give women confidence by telling stories like yours that people say, well, gosh, she's just like me. If she can do it, I can do it. And it gives that confidence to be able to see others doing it. So then you can be it too. But, you know, I would just love to kind of get your feedback on this confidence gap and then talk specifically about what you do in terms of just body language and how women especially portray themselves and how that helps your confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the confidence gap is such a real thing. And yeah, I was on a panel actually earlier today that was talking about unconscious bias and the tech talent gap came up. It's, well, why aren't there more women in the pipeline and why can't we get more diversity in tech? And part of the problem is, is for women who go into engineering degrees, you know, first of all, by junior high, most girls have decided that engineering and STEM career are not for them by societal messages and just unintentional messages that they're heard that they they disqualify themselves from pursuing that for ones that do pursue it when they get to the collegiate level and even into the internship level the competitive landscape and and kind of that dog-eat-dog environment is something where they love the work but they don't like the environment they don't finish the degree or they get the degree but they don't go into the career right right and a lot of that is 
because they feel like they can't compete. And, and there's this weird obligation that so many women have, myself included, that unless I check all the boxes, I'm not qualified. Right. And there's that stat about how women will only apply for a job if they have like, what, 95% of all the qualifications listed, where a man will apply. He's, he's got a few of them, you know, 30 or 40%. He's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. You know, we're holding ourselves back sometimes with that confidence gap. Right. And I, I don't even think that it's so much that the reality is that so much more is expected. Such a higher level of competence is expected. It's our own self-evaluation. It's our own tool. It's our own self-esteem. And, you know, for a lot of people, like for me, I was kind of a, a chubby, you know, third grader who got picked on and didn't have any self-esteem. And, and a lot of times I look in the mirror now and I still see that girl who got picked on and wasn't liked and, you know, just didn't look like the other girls because I was like five foot nine and fourth grade, you know, like just all of that head trash that we collect through our lives just yep. dings away at our confidence until we show up feeling like that third grader. Instead of being honest with ourselves, it's not even being overconfident or lying to yourself. It's like, give yourself credit for what you are right now in this time, in this snapshot of today, instead of whatever trash or disappointment and, you know, just baggage for lack, lack of a better term that you're carrying with you from previous experiences or hurts. Like I think we internalize and make that kind of an intrinsic measuring stick where our male counterparts just really don't hold on to those experiences in quite the same way. So yeah, it's really getting over yourself <laughs> is, is like the fundamental thing and knowing how to present yourself in a more confident way, even if you don't feel 100% confident and convincing yourself, convincing your mind to follow your body. That's right. Fake it till you make it. Okay. So tell me two things. What are just a couple of the top two or three body language signs that women give off when they say they walk into a room, I'll just use that as an example, when they're not confident. And then conversely, then what can we do to show that we are confident, even if we're not feeling it quite there yet? So tell us, what do women look like when they're not confident? What do you see? I think there's a couple of telling things that that show a, a lack of confidence or uncertainty, especially when, you know, we'll use the example of just walking into a room. So walking in for a meeting, literally kind of closed in on yourself. So that can be, you know, using our, our handy cell phones to, to fold in on ourselves. The easiest way to put yourself into low confidence body position is to fold in on your cell phone or on your device. Um, so walking in to kind of avoid having to be acknowledged, walking in distracted on your cell phone or, or some other kind of busy work that you're engaged in, walking in and not making eye contact. And the, the biggest tell, I think, for people who aren't necessarily feeling that they deserve a seat at the table is that they literally will not sit at the table. Wow. You know, when you look at it, I think to every corporate meeting I was ever in, and inevitably, if there were chairs along the side of the room, there were women in them. Interesting. And they would choose that even if there were open seats at the table. I love the metaphor because the literal, you know, we want a seat at the table, but we've got to physically take a seat at the table. Yeah. And then the other indicator of confidence or feeling of belonging is how much space you take up once you get to the table. (laughs) I was on the airplane recently and the men, I'm like, dude, dude, I'm in the middle. I get one of these armrests. But no, it didn't matter. And he had the newspaper spread out. I was like, hey, now. Now, I wouldn't do that. I'm sitting there on my computer like like this because I don't want to elbow him. <laughs> exactly. And, and this is kind of a bad habit under the guise of being polite that sometimes women pick up. It's we don't really like I love to just freeze frame in a training class or in a with a group of executives. And just when I get to this point, say, OK, stop, don't move, look around. 
Right. And there's always like one person who's claimed a lot of territory and is leaning on a chair or sprawled out. Not always male, not always female. It, it depends on, on the organization and their culture. But one thing almost exclusively is that in by the numbers, the women take up a very small amount of space and it's usually not any wider than our shoulders. And everything is perfectly kind of contained in what we've claimed, you know, the space that we feel we deserve. And we're very conscious about only claiming the space that we feel that we deserve. And that can be perceived, especially if you're at a table with other people that are inherently claiming a lot more space, that can be perceived that you lack confidence. Even if you don't, it can be perceived by other people who are decoding you and making decisions about you that you're not confident or you're not a real player or you're not going to be a strong negotiator or whatever environment that you're in. You wouldn't think that how much room you take up at a table would matter so much, but it really does. I'm sure that there's an extreme to that. Like if you if you go in and you don't want to then go in and just like spread all over because you don't want to have the... <laughs> Obviously, the opposite effect. So how do you know the right amount of space where you're showing confidence, but you're not showing arrogance? I kind of look like, um, you know, without going into kind of hard and fast measurements, think of yourself as like home base on a, on a baseball field, right? So you have first, third, and, and second, but first and third are, are a pretty good angle out from where you are. Like you said, you don't want to come out and sprawl. You don't want to be sloppy because, again, you're going to be decoded based on those presentations as well. But just feeling free to have a little bit of a reach off to your right or off to your left. You don't want to be a space invader or be rude, but you don't need to play small so other people can play big. You need to have some boundaries. That's a great quote. We're gonna, we've got to use that quote. You don't need to play small so that other people can play big. That's an awesome quote. I'm going to use that in one of our on the dot in end of quotes and I'll, I'll quote you for that. I'll awesome. Yeah, no, I'd love that because here's the thing. You know, I always joke. It's like corporate budgets, right? The manager that doesn't spend their money doesn't get a gold star. Somebody else takes that budget and uses it for something awesome for their team. <laughs> if you don't use your space, somebody else is going to feel free to infringe. And once you've lost it, it's gone. Right. So it's not a territory war and it's not a big blatant act of aggression. It's just feeling comfortable. Like I belong here. I'm comfortable taking up some space. This is a, a territory. This is my domain for now. And I am an active and engaged and equal part of this conversation. So going back to the someone walks into a room, if you're standing in that room, what's the number one indicator that person's got game? They're confident. They feel good about themselves. What's the thing that you just go, boom, they got it. I think it's kind of a one-two punch. So I think having direct and warm eye contact. So engaging, right? Like I see you because you have to remember it's not about meeting your need. It's what the person on the other side of your face is looking for. And the person on the other side of your face is looking for acknowledgement. That person wants to feel seen and heard and valued. And if you can instantly do that literally by seeing that person and not just looking at them and having eye contact, but giving them some form of acknowledgement. So whether it's a, a quick nod or a hello or a wave or, you know, the eyebrow raise is a great one because even if you don't know each other, chances are they're going to raise their eyebrows back and it's kind of like the nonverbal equivalent of, oh, I know you. It's a signal of, of being familiar with each other. And even people who don't know each other, once the eyebrow raise happens, there's a little bit of a vibe, like a little bit of connectedness. You've made each other feel mutually seen. Okay, what if you've had a lot of Botox and you can't read? <laughs> you can do an alternative uh, gesture to acknowledge them. So maybe a little nod or a, a hey or a, a little wave or, you know, just some sort of verbal acknowledgement in addition. Nice to see you. You know, people want to know that their presence in that room is important. 
because deep down we're all kind of like insecure little kids that just want to be liked in the playground and it's really like how do you meet that intrinsic that that really basic need of people of just being seen right and it makes so much sense making other people feel important and feel you know needed and wanted and you know acknowledged that makes so much sense that gives you the power right you're doling out that acknowledgement. So that's really, really interesting. I mean, that's really easy to do, even for people who aren't super confident or super social. You know, we're not asking you to, to jump into a 10-minute, you know, in-depth conversation. So I think that's a real easy way to do that. That's great. Yeah. And what I find is when I'm walking into a, a room of executives or walking in to do a talk, the people that I, I get the opportunity to acknowledge with an eyebrow raise or, or some form of verbal acknowledgement, those are almost always the people who will talk to me afterwards or email me or ask me questions because they feel like we've had a moment which sometimes can be hard to do in a big room. But if you can have a moment with a couple of people and, and make them feel seen and give them that great first impression, they like people that know them and they like to be known. So it's one of those things where the follow-up, the people that stay after or ask questions are almost always people at some point that I've had some sort of moment of acknowledgement and connection with. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, so early on in On the Dot, we actually featured Amy Cuddy, who you probably know who she is. She's a Harvard professor, and she did this study about power pose, and she came out and she did a TED Talk, which was like one of the most watched TED Talks ever. And I actually happened to hear her speak shortly after that at an event and she did her power poses. And at first when I read in the program about her, I was like, really? Come on, you know, <laughs> but I did it as my own experiment. I started doing the Wonder Woman pose with the hands on your hip, fists on the hip. Oh, I go straight out. I starfish. I go straight out. If I'm really nervous or really amped up about something, you bet I will just straight up starfish it out. Yep. Well, and here's the funny thing. So, you know, I was just reading more about her. There was this big controversy that came out, I don't know, months or about a year after about somebody else tried to redo the study and found, oh, it's just this, you know, it's psychological nonsense, whatever. But I have to say, because of my own experience, it does make you feel different, which I imagine being conscious of that body language is a similar thing. You could say, oh yeah, right. I mean, moving your papers out, sure. I mean, that's a bunch of mumbo jumbo, but it, it really does make sense. And so, and I loved it. She was, of course, able to defend her study and what she did because people really do. And, you know, I can tell you because I'm not a woo-woo. You know, I'm telling you that power pose, I have done that. And I'm actually a really confident person, but we all need it. I, you know, that confidence gap exists for even yeah. the most confident of women. But I'm just getting curious what, you know, your thoughts on that and... Yeah, well, Amy, she got beat up pretty good by the scientific community. And it was just a, a couple of experiments that they weren't able to replicate. And it's easy to make a big deal in, in the media about stuff if you if you scream loud enough. But the interesting part, as far as the correlation of body position and space and confidence levels, there's other studies that were done that kind of confirm that general principle. So there's, there's a study that was done by the University of British Columbia that wanted to see about, you know, our reaction to winning or prize and our reaction to defeat. So what does somebody look like when they win? Claiming space, arms up, you know, running around, mine, 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 I'm awesome. What does somebody look like when they're defeated? They want to disappear, right? They shrink, they fall down, they get small, they ball up. And so they wanted to see, was this a socially learned behavior where we know what victory looks like and we know what defeat looks like? Or is this an intrinsic kind of DNA body signal of victory and defeat? The study followed athletes that had been blind since birth, that had never seen the social norm or the social expression of victory and defeat. 
followed them through many different countries and many different sporting events and contexts and found that athletes that had never seen what victory looked like and had never seen what defeat looked like responded exactly the same way as sighted athletes. So there is just something intrinsically in our in our DNA and our makeup that says, yes, you've done well, congratulations, take your space, claim it, or something of you failed, you're not worthy get small. So there's a lot of good science, you know, around the idea of how we express or how we can build confidence or how we can kind of trip ourselves by playing too small. That's right. Well, you know, it is interesting because I'm naturally a pretty confident person, but I kind of know what my tells are because I do get, I have this weird little introvert that I am the opposite of an introvert and in pretty much every way, if any of my friends would go, what? I'm a total introvert, which is funny. Yeah. Well, and I'm not at all, but I can feel it. And I will say I got back on vacation. I was on a cruise, so completely unplugged. And I got back and I was just feeling really like, oh gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure this is going to work. Whatever, you know, I'm in this startup mode. I was having all these, you know, after being back, I felt so, you know, it was great to unplug on one end, but like yesterday, I did not leave my office all day. Like I was, you know, with all the other employees, but I didn't go back. And I always walk in in the morning. I walk, I say, good morning. I talk to people. I say goodbye when I leave. And I didn't even realize it until we're talking about this now. I'm like, that's my tell. And even one of my employees said to me today, oh, I didn't even see you yesterday, which is so odd. And I realized I was hunkering into myself because I was not feeling confident and I just needed to be quiet and refuel. And probably really what I needed is to get out there and grab it back, right? Claim my space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is- isolation and playing small have some real strong parallels. I do the same thing when I'm overwhelmed. I, I call it going on my island. I'm founding a technology company right now as well. So there's lots of days I'm like, what am I doing? Am I And am I the person to do this? You know, if I'm just going to be perfectly candid. That head trash story is real and it shows up almost every day. And so when I get in that protective mode, I call it getting on my island and people just don't see or hear from me. Like I'm still working. I'm, I'm still like showing up on, on social and putting work out. But someone actually just before we jumped on text me and was like, you're on your island, aren't you? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, let's go to dinner. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I do the same thing. I get really, and uncertainty kind of leads to those protective behaviors and so does overwhelm. So I don't always think it's, it's directly confidence related, but I think uncertainty and and overwhelm for sure. I know are my triggers that put me, um, I think that overwhelm, at least for me, affects my confidence. When I'm feeling overwhelmed and feeling like I can't get my arms around something, then I feel less confident. It's this wicked cycle. So so many of these things are important, you know, like the power pose. And I forgot, I actually haven't done a power pose in a long time. You know, I was doing it a lot when you were right after that first happened, but I got to remind myself and, and, you know, even, you know, talking about this today, just to remind yourself that you have the power and the capacity in the moment to kind of change your trajectory. Not only how others look at you, feel about you, see you, but how you feel about yourself and how you, your confidence, you know, we, we have that. In fact, I was watching one of your interviews and you talk about, you know, this attainable superpower, right? And that we all, we actually all are born with this. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. 
it's a huge gift. And it's one of the reasons when, you know, we talked earlier about kind of looking for the thing that was going to be, be what I built. And when I found body language and realized it was rooted in good science and that it was 100% accessible to everyone. It's not a skill that costs a lot of money to learn and you don't have to be a, you know, an Ivy League educated person to understand it. It works for any socioeconomic background. Um, it works cross-culturally. It's one of the true skill sets that really levels the playing field because someone in a, you know, tribe in Uganda can learn it the same way somebody sitting in a boardroom in New York City can learn it. And when I teach CEOs or when I teach third graders, they're getting the same science. It's just how do we use it so you can leverage that to your advantage and what you're walking into every day. Um, and I, I haven't personally run across any other skill that has been so easily translated across all of those different backgrounds and barriers. Yeah, so I love that. It's attainable superpower. It is. It's awesome. It's everybody can play. Okay, so let's talk about, you know, the difference between men and women. And specifically, you walk into a room, the same thing, you walk into a boardroom, and it's you as a woman and all men. Yeah, it's a common scenario for me. <laughs> right, especially in, you know, in the tech world, as we were talking about in STEM, you know, this is what a lot of these women yeah. are facing. This is what a lot of that sort of that burnout, that cultural thing, you know, talks about. So what are some body language tips that you can give specifically for women when you're in a room full of men? I think the first thing, you know, part of what I do that isn't necessarily body language, but it's mindset work, which works uh, you know, really hand in hand with, with how you present yourself is before I walk into the room, I ask myself, you know, what I set my intention of when I walk out of this room, what three words do I want anyone in this room to use to describe me? Right. And those three words vary. If I'm in mom mode and I'm walking into an event with my daughter, those three words are different. Those are scary things to walk into. They are. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, you know, I, I said earlier, I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm, I also, I'm like the always awkward person. Like I always feel awkward, even if I don't look it. like, thank God for these tools. It's my saving grace. Cause I know, I know how to show up differently sometimes than I actually feel, but I will take a boardroom full of execs over a room full of parents any day. <laughs> because I, I feel confident in, in my competence when I'm training, when I'm teaching, when I'm speaking, I have mastery over the, uh, over that material. And I, the outcome is predictable, not the case socially, right? Totally different dynamic there. But I think when, when you're walking in it, to have you yourself centered around the idea of the, the experience you want to create for other people. So for instance, if I'm walking into a room full of male executives, you know, I want them to see me as competent, right? That I can do what I say I can do. You know, I want them to see me as a trusted partner, you know, so creating trust, getting into to real dialogue and being vulnerable when it's needed is hard to do in that environment, but I commit to do it because that's the experience I want to create for somebody on the other side of me. Um, you know, and then uh, likable. Likeability is the most underrated skill. And that's really, I, I mean, you can be good at what you're doing, but if somebody doesn't want to be in the room with you, forget about it. You're not getting the opportunities that you want. And that's just the truth. So I'll set my intentions. So I recommend, you know, for anyone walking into a room that you figure out if somebody met you for 30 seconds and, and their buddy walked up and asked, hey, what did you think about her or him? What three words would you hope they would use to describe you? And I can tell you by taking just those few seconds to really put a flag in the ground as to how you want to show up in that experience physically changes how you walk into that space. Yep. You don't leave it to chance. You already know what you want to create in that space. So 
your confidence automatically goes up because you have a game plan. It gets rid of that chaos and that chance and that unknown, and it lets you set the course. So being intentional about that. And then really one of the things that drives me crazy is when a woman walks into a room and immediately apologizes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to interrupt or... Like the confidence gap. Like, what, what is that? Right. So you don't ever want to apologize for entering someone's space because that will automatically knock you down a notch on, on the perception of your competence, on your confidence. It lowers your charisma because you put people at this weird position of like accepting an apology when they, they didn't feel an offense. Right. Right. So you're just creating this whole weird dynamic. So I never apologize for walking into a room or interrupting a conversation. I feel okay taking up the space and the time and know that what I have to bring is valuable. So don't apologize when you walk into a room. Don't apologize for taking someone's time. You know, be confident and both verbally and non-verbally present your case that what you're doing is valuable and is a good use of people's time. Um, Because if you leave any room to question or you feel like they're interrupting or, oh, I know you have so many other things you could be doing right now, you're just setting yourself up for failure. You're telling them that you don't see that what you're doing is worthwhile or confident. Right, right. right? And, and having open body language where you're not afraid to address the room, squaring up with people, kind of shoulders, hips, and knees when you're talking to them, it's called fronting. And fronting can be a really powerful tool of engagement. If you're always standing offset, from someone, it can signal that you have a level of discomfort or uncertainty. But when you're squared up and you're really engaging with someone, not in an adversarial way, but in a highly interested, highly engaged, active listening way, it really makes that person feel honored. And again, that seen, heard, and valued, check, check, check. That again, leaves an impression that you know what you're doing, you can do what you say you can do, and that you deserve to be in that space. And is there any specific advice? Okay, so now we've walked into a room full of men. What about when you're walking into a room full of women, which sometimes is harder, (laughs) believe it or not, because then you're worried about your shoes and what you look like. (laughs) Any other tweaks that you would give if you're in a room full of women? I think the rules are, are pretty much the same. I think the warmth and acknowledgement is really important and bar none above anything else in this realm is that you need to be authentic and you need to be genuine. Don't act like you're overly thrilled to see somebody that you're just okay being in the same space with. Because that just plays fake. Your vocal tone changes, your body position changes, your facial expressions change, and people are really good at sniffing out fake And that can ruin your reputation faster than anything. So a a polite, lukewarm hello is better than a fake, over-enthusiastic greeting. I think with women, you have to, above all else, be authentic. Yep, I, I would agree with that. And especially in this day and age, I think that women are really seeking those deeper relationships. And what I have found, I collect people, I'm really interested in, you know, and what they're all about. But I, I really feel like in this day and age that women are looking for other women that they can really, you know, share their dreams and their career struggles and at a deeper level that maybe you wouldn't necessarily, you know, 10 years ago wouldn't have shared, but really to do that. So I think there's some also some incredible opportunity if you open yourself up to that and let other people know that you're open to that to have some really great relationships happen. Yeah, you absolutely nailed it. People are so starved for genuine connection because there's so much fake and so much surface level where everybody's life is perfect. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think when someone can be brave enough to just show up in their space 
you know, flaws and all, and just share your story. Like storytelling is so important. And it took me five, six, seven years to be able to own my failure and own my story and talk about my business. And, you know, that was kind of a big shame thing for me because in my family, you don't get divorced. And if you start something, you finish it. And, you know, I I just was always a type A overachiever. So if I'm going to open a business, it's going to be successful. And then it's not. And then it's, then what do you do with that? Right. So talk about isolating and on an island, like that's a whole nother episode. It took me getting really comfortable and and just kind of jumping off the cliff and like, I'm just going to share my story. And if people judge me, they judge me. And what I found was the exact opposite is that people didn't judge me. People supported me and appreciated me and were like sigh of relief that thank God someone is having a real conversation with me right now. Right. Yeah. No, I find that to be absolutely true. And, uh, you know, again, it goes exactly to what we're trying to do every day with On The Dot is just provide access to women like you who are willing to share their stories. Because when I started doing all this research and found out that among, you know, inequality of pay and um, lack of access to capital and lack of access to networks, that the top issue for women was lack of access to relatable role models. I just was like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What do you mean? There's so many incredible women doing things. So that's really what, you know, we're here to do is put that spine to, to show that, you know, women like you and for women like you to see others, you know, when you're having those island days that you can reach out and you can see other women who are doing it and push through. Yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm so thankful that, that you've created this conversation and this outlet. And I, I turned 40 this year and I would say I didn't really have a good, you know, tribe of real women around me until the last probably two years that we can really sit down and challenge each other and call each other on our crap and, you know, bring flaws and all to the table and share our hearts. And that has probably been the one thing over all the skills and and all the opportunities I've had. Those real relationships have probably been the thing that has given me more confidence and has moved me forward faster than any other thing. And I would wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Your tribe is critically important. And in fact, I've done a lot of talking and done some videos about finding your tribe and how you do that and and having to show up. And it's a community commitment. You know, I've got a, a young child too, but you sort of have to say, well, you know what, it's important. I have to, sometimes you're not at home one night because you're out with the girls, but it's not just about, oh, she's drinking with her girlfriends. It's really this other depth of relationship that, that women, especially I think need in their lives and especially helping that career trajectory. I, I see it make a huge difference for women. So I, I certainly would encourage, you know, everyone watching and listening today that, you know, if you haven't found that tribe, then there are so many great ways to do it. And and we're going to be sharing a lot about that, you know, through on the dot and everything that we do. So thanks for, yeah. for bringing that I up. And so many, so many women are really wanting to engage in, in these relationships and, you know, make the commitment to their tribe, but you have to be brave enough to ask or to just put your need out there and say, Hey, you know, I'm really looking, you know, for somebody that I can meet with every two weeks and, and you know, talk about my business goals and, and get some feedback on some of the projects I'm working on you know, is that something that you'd be interested in? You know, like just making the ask. So many people will say yes. You can only say yes to the things that you ask for, you know, and have this weird, like, oh, I don't want to impose or I don't want to, no, you know, just ask. Most people, if they say no, will say, but I have this person or this resource or something else for you. 
That's right. It's, it's a no, no, but I can still help you. You don't get what you don't ask for. Okay. So last question, who is your role model? Have you had a role model or some role models in your life? I have. One of the people I really admire, you know, from a, a professional standpoint and just a, an amazing storyteller and truth teller is, is Robin Roberts yeah. from Good Morning America. She has consistently shown up with realness in some of the most difficult situations. And the different parts of her, her story that she has shared and the different challenges that she's just brought realness to every single day. Like I just appreciate the fact that yes, she's, she's a professional and yes, she's esteemed and and yes, she's accomplished. She puts her heart and her humanity in front of her work and shows that they they can be mutually combined and still lead to success, that you don't have to sacrifice your human part or your professional part. And and I think that's just such a great message and such an amazing way to show up with authenticity and to help other women be brave and sharing their stories too. No, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa Mitchell. Really excited. So tell us if we want to get more ad- advice and tips and tricks on body language, tell us how to find you and follow you and all that good stuff. Yeah. Lisa at powerbodylanguage.com is the best way to engage with me on, on email, ask questions, tell me your stories. I, I really always am so interested to hear, you know, what, what is useful to you. And so feedback is, is great. Lisa at powerbodylanguage.com. There's some fun videos, tips, tricks, different segments and and things that I've done on my website at powerbodylanguage.com. You've done some great podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I do. I have two podcasts. I have the Lisa Mitchell Show, which is primarily around equipping and, and encouraging millennial women as they move into early stage careers or into career transition. And that's on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you like to get your podcast. And then just for fun, I did a, a podcast uh, called Shiny Things. Yes, I love the um, name. That's all around the crazy world of trying to date in a digital space. Some of the challenges that come with digital dating and apps and, and how people are showing up in those spaces. So that's really just more like a a fun little passion project because I'm in that space and it's bananas most of the time. So (laughs) that was just too much fun to not do. Both are available on iTunes or Google Play. Okay, awesome. And we'll put um, the links for a lot of this stuff in the post as well. And you have to promise me one thing that you will come back once you get your tech company launched. We're going to want to hear all about anytime. I got stories for days on that. Well, good luck with it all. I know you're going to be fabulous and we'll look forward to hearing more from you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Looking for more inspiration, advice, and direction? Subscribe to our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot, where we provide you with the tools and motivation you need to get out there and be the badass you were meant to be. Tune in next Thursday when we sit down with the president and CEO of Lloyd Agencies, Sabrina Lloyd. We are focused on your success. So let us know what you think by chatting with us at On The Dot Woman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love to hear your voice.